Good morning and welcome to Aaron Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Daniel Meadows. It's great to have you all in worship with us, whether here in-house or listening online. It's great to be back in the house of the Lord together. I want to start off this morning by reading to you a short story. It's one from a, a Swedish author, and uh, when I first heard the short story, it was about six months ago. It became a bit of a, uh, I guess, a bit of a social media trend. It was read as if by the voice and even looked to be done by an AI-type program. Uh, gave a bit of a Morgan Freeman feel. You know what I mean? Like Morgan Freeman's just got that voice. You know, like when he says things, it just like commands you to listen, it feels like. And, and this was one that was a short story given. I didn't know much about it, and so I did a little bit of research, and I, I kind of logged it away thinking, you know, that's something worth bringing up somewhere down the road. And so as we prepared and as I prepared for sermons coming on, I started reading a little bit more about this individual. This story was not written years and years ago, as you might suspect. It was actually written in October of 2021. It's only a two-year-old, even, not even that, short story, written by a guy by the name of William Miller. Not sure if you've ever heard of William Miller. Uh, interesting character. Uh, he's a guy who's a, um, I believe the proper terminology is um, master, no, certified scrum master. May mean nothing to you, but if you're in the world of business leadership, you probably understand and recognize some of those words. Scrum is a word borrowed from the game of rugby in which people work together to accomplish a, a mission. It's really born out of the tech industry when you're trying to write new programs and create new, uh, new tech applications. It's not normally something that's done by one person. You're talking dozens and maybe even in some applications, hundreds of people are working together. And so there's, a, there's an agile methodology that people are familiar with as well. And in that methodology is a way of how can we work together, hundreds of people attacking one small project in order to bring that entire project together in a way that creates something massive. And so they spread the work out amongst people. And so this individual is one who has made quite a living for himself as a very uh, young man by appearance. I haven't found his age, but he was a young man by appearance. And as a way of teaching team management skills, he wrote this short story. And I thought it very, very appropriate. Some of you who may be involved in social media uh, applications, especially those that have uh, videos, you may have heard this story, at least some version of it, but I'll read it to you as he wrote it. This short story is titled, A Donkey, a Tiger, and a Lion. One day the donkey told the tiger, the grass is blue. The tiger replied, no, the grass is green. The discussion became heated, and the two decided to submit the issue of, to arbitration. And to do so, they approached the lion. Before reaching the clearing in the forest where the lion was sitting on his throne, the donkey started screaming, your highness, isn't it true that the grass is blue? The lion replied, true. The grass is blue. The donkey rushed forward and continued, The tiger disagrees with me and contradicts me and annoys me. Please punish him. The king declared, The tiger will be punished with five years of silence. The donkey jumped with joy and went on his way, content and repeating, The grass is blue. The grass is blue. The tiger accepted his punishment, but he asked the lion, Your majesty, why have you punished me? After all, the grass is green. The lion replied, in fact, the grass is green. The tiger asked, so why do you punish me? The lion replied, that has nothing to do with whether or not the grass is blue or green. The punishment is because it is not possible for a brave, intelligent creature like yourself to waste time arguing with a donkey, and on top of that, to come and bother me with the same question. <laughs> I feel not heavy pressure, but I get the questions from time to time, why don't I preach about certain topics? Why don't I bring certain 
pol not political, but social um, discussions that are taking place in a wide variety of platforms. Why am I not bringing those things and us spending a great deal of time about them on a Sunday morning? Part of that is because I consider myself to be worshiping with a group of tigers, so I don't participate in donkey discussion on Sunday mornings. Maybe for a moment, there is one Bible. You may like your King James Version or your NIV, but in fact, it is not the Bible. The Bible is 66 books that have been put together over time. They're put together directed by God, but they were mainly written in Greek and in Hebrew. A little bit of Aramaic mixed in, but they're written in Greek and Hebrew. So you can choose which of those translations you'd like to read. I'd personally advise you to stay away from theological conversation that starts in a paraphrase. And if you don't know the difference, we can have a conversation later on about that. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit here and argue about which translation is the best. After all, they are all broken down English translations from other languages. There are two genders. You do not get to choose your chromosomes. I'm not having that conversation. Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat are all the donkey's version of Disneyland. Getting into arguments on Facebook is a moral and ethical lapse of judgment. It doesn't help you fix the clowns. It makes you a part of the circus. If you'd like to argue any of these things with me, I will caution you this at first. Reread the story I just gave you. I'll still have conversations, but reread that first because I'm not going to waste time having donkey-type discussions. We can have them. We can have them softly and safely, but on Sunday mornings, let us be people who are about tiger conversations, like how can we become more holy and how can we invite other people into that holiness? So let's have that conversation this morning. With that, I would invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Fellow tigers, we live in a culture and in a community of people, not just in the county that we live or maybe the town that we occupy, but we live within a society of people that represent a greater and greater depraved culture in that their separation from the direction of God seems to be greater as we watch things take place. We can have discussions about what that looks like or how do we identify that, but one of the things I think would be an easy thing to point out is the continued decline in the nature of people attending and being a part of religious type conversations in a healthy way anyway. Uh, we're quick to go back to the donkey Disneyland I've referenced and make some very cute statements that sound good in short order, but we don't really have a, a large following of people who are interested in having solid exegetical conversations about what the Bible says and how it speaks to us. And so this morning as you live in a world, and I'm making the, the assumption and beginning this conversation from a place of, of recognizing that we live in a depraved culture, one that has all sorts of things that evil is, is working and at work within and a way to separate further humanity from the, from the love and care of our God and our Creator. And so as we operate in a place where, you know, it seems to be there are great frustrations, even sufferings is a good word as believers, I think that the Romans 8 text, which is our lectionary text for the morning, is one of the most beautiful places for us to begin. And so I'd invite you this morning to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, if you would. Stand and we'll begin reading at verse 18. It'll be on the screen there above you if you're here in house with us. If not, please turn to your Bible and spend some time there following along as well. <clears throat> Obviously, if you're driving down the road, we're okay with you just listening. <clears throat> Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. 
Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption into sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God, we come before you this morning reading a passage written to a group of people who were working and living in a culture very contrary to themselves, and as such were dealing with sufferings. They were navigating this life, wanting to live as Christ had called them, and yet also living in a culture that was incredibly depraved of, God, of not having that relationship with you as they should. So this morning, as we feel in some ways we relate to that story, would you open this letter to us fresh and new? God, and help us to maybe to be sharpened by it as we move forward. It is your son's name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. I'll simply highlight a few of these phrases in the, the flows of this, of this passage this morning. What we'll do from a study standpoint and a, a discussion standpoint is what we call running the text. We will kind of begin in, the, in that beginning portion and follow it out as this uh, thought process is, is uh, being unveiled throughout time. As, as he continues to write, continues to not adapt, but continue to, to illuminate more of this thought process that he's working through. And one of the first things that you read in this segment of Scripture is this phrase, of I consider our pre present sufferings not worth comparing to what is coming. Now, I think it's very appropriate this morning that during our prayer time, we had a chance to be able to pray with our elementary school kids who were returning to school. Uh, we prayed in the sanctuary for our middle school and high school students, and as well those who in homeschool are starting back at whatever their time frame is. But we pray for those students who are going back. And one of the things I look back at within the school, the, my years of being in school was the difference of going into a senior year of high school. How many of you, can you remember that? For some of you, maybe a few years ago. For some of you, maybe a few decades ago. I get it. But, but senior year of high school is quite a different year, isn't it? As a matter of fact, think with me for just a moment. What are the last few weeks of a senior year like? Wild, isn't it? Very, very weird outside the box. What are some of the thoughts Maybe some of the beautiful parts of being a senior in those last few weeks. What would you say as a congregation? What are the best parts of being a senior in those last few weeks? Nothing. You all wish you could go back to those last few weeks, I guess. What are the great parts of excitement? Independence is coming. Absolutely. No one else to tell you what your schedule is and when you have to show up. That didn't work out well for me later on. You have The opportunity is exactly right. I've got, to, got, got all of these options that are there. What else? You know something that's very, very freeing? What happens when your school system starts denouncing in the latter portions of a year the changes that are coming for the next year? Oh, they're going to redo the parking assignments and all of the underclassmen are talking about where their parking assignments may be or not be. What does the senior in that setting say? I don't care. Y'all park wherever you want. I ain't going to be here. You know, not a problem whatsoever. What happens when they decide, like, we're going to change maybe the, the flow of the day, or this is the, you know, we're, we're trying the new grading system, or whatever things are going on. When you're in those last few weeks of your senior year, and quite frankly, in most settings, your graduation has already been determined two weeks before you graduate. 
know what I mean? You're either, most of you, I know some of you are like right to the end, but most people, you almost can't fail in the last two weeks. And you get into this mentality of like, it doesn't really matter what's going to happen. And if it's been so long since high school, you will recognize this one, those of you that have been decades since you graduated. How about that guy or girl who retires in the next month or two? Do they care about what new OSHA standards are coming? Do they have any care about what JCO has to say about the accreditation processes taking place? None whatsoever. You want to know why? Because they're not going to be there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to get caught up in this. And in the same way, Paul is, is saying to these people, your present sufferings are not worth comparing to what is coming. And it's not worth getting wrapped up in or, or thinking that the sky is falling. It's not worth getting in arguments about the color of grass. You see? Because I recognize that there's something so much, there is a hope within me that is so much bigger than whether the grass is blue or green. There's, there's, there's a hope and a, and a, and a, a belief within me. Like you, you look toward what's coming in the future and there's this reality of knowing that like we have the hope of Jesus Christ. I have the, a hope of an eternity with none of this suffering and some of the foolishness that we see taking place. And so in the, in the scheme of this world, that really helps change our mindset to where our sufferings don't necessarily become first and foremost of what we're, our mentality is about. We are more defined by the hope of eternity than we are the sufferings of immediate. Amen? That's what we're called to be. I mean, that, that's what he's illustrating in this. He talks about that hope, and then he moves a little bit further, and he uses this analogy in verse 22. We've been groaning as in the pain of childbirth. Now, let me tell you something that goes back to something I said a little bit earlier. I have no idea what groaning in the pain of childbirth is about. Okay? I'm a dude, always been a dude, always will be a dude. I'm not having a baby. Not happening. Okay? Don't care what Twitter tells you. I'm not having a baby. Okay? In the world of groaning with, with childbirth, here's what I would like to ask. Those of you mothers who are here, educate us for just a moment. In the last month of pregnancy, what are the portions you're ready to be passed? What are the portions you're ready to be over with in that last month of pregnancy? Educate us, non-birthers. Do what? You're looking for, you'll be able to get sleep? Is that the plan? More. Okay, I hear you. What else? Okay, so we have someone finally. I wondered if anybody would be bold enough to say, I'm tired of this baby using my bladder as a trampoline. You know what I mean? Like, I hear that all the time. I'm tired of that. Absolutely. What other thing? When, what are they looking forward to in the future when it comes to like, I'm, I'm in, in the groanings of I'm dealing with this and I won't have to deal with this? What are, maybe something else that you don't have to deal with as you move forward? Heartburn. Heartburn. I, I, again, this is only my having watched women who are pregnant. The art of picking something up off the ground in the last month looks to be a dangerous task, if nothing else. I, I don't know, but it's, it's a daunting task, if nothing else, right, in that last month. And, and, and he draws this line of, in our sufferings, the groanings, yet it's not just the groanings of what's taking, but think with me about what childbirth represents. Flip that switch with me again, those of you moms. And it's, yes, I recognize I'm tired of this section, but is Paul not bringing on such a beautiful imagery of the hope of new life? The hope of, of bringing in something beautiful and perfect, and there's something so pure. Those who have been around when, when moms have that chance to hold their baby for the first time, it's not an easily forgettable moment for the fellows. I can't imagine what it's like for a mom who's been carrying a child for some eight to nine months and now finally on the outside gets to hold that young child 
against that neck, against that, 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 that you know, body to be able to hold. I can't imagine even more. There are a few in our midst, even one, who didn't just give birth to one. It has to be double the joy when you have twins, I guess. You know? But even, even in this picture that he's painting, he's talking about, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to what's coming. Like someone groaning in, in the process. Yes, there are those things that we are ready to be free of. But it changes our perspective when our groanings, when our groanings are a part and, and, and are part of the story that creates that hope of knowing what new life and new life created will be like. Amen? Like what a beautiful picture of what that means and, and what he's talking about of, of dealing with these sufferings. He, he says a little bit further that, that you have been brought into a hope of sonship and I would argue daughtership. Okay? So uh, definitely a masculine driven world and so that's the reason for the sonship. And when you read this, the verbiage that's being used is one to indicate one who has been completely adopted and would then have the rights of Roman citizenship, which is a big deal when you're writing to the Romans, you know, especially to even people who may not be Roman, but are in that context. Like There are certain benefits of being there. And so he's, he's using these images that are very real in their world to speak to the analogy of like, we, we deal with these sufferings because of the hope we have. And one of those hopes is at one point, even though we may deal with the groanings and the frustrations of this earth, there is new life coming and there is a, a new segment in, in such beauty and such purity and such, such awesomeness that is coming. But even in that that is going to happen is to recognize that you will be completely adopted as child of the Most High God. What a, what a picture that he's drawing on here. Yet he's still navigating through this. We live in this hope and yet as he moves forward in this, talking about how we live in this world, jump with me back to verse 26 for a second. And he says something, and it's almost like he keeps dabbling between the hope of the future and the reality of the groaning and the sufferings here, and then the hope of the future and back and forth. He, he's kind of jumping as he describes the, 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 the oddity of, of living in this, kind of in this, this, this time frame of not yet seeing the hope and yet why it's worth and what, how sufferings and groanings are worth it knowing because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And he goes back a little bit here and he talks about how in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I find that to be an intriguing way to verbalize in our weakness. Anybody in here in the room saying I have no weakness? Gladly, I'd love to sit in a room and just listen to you talk. Anybody in here with no weakness? That's my, that's my point. You know, like to recognize that to be human and to live in a depraved world and to live in such a way that we are separated from the love of God and, the, and, the, and having that, that isolative, selfish nature in us and in God's work providing Jesus Christ as our, as our Lord and Savior to be able to be forgiven of those sins and then be back in relationship with Him. Like there's, there's no part of living in this world that we don't recognize that we're living in some sort of weakness. There is something that evil uses to be able to, to, to try and separate us from God. There, there's a weakness in us, and it may be a, a streak of anger, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, or a streak of jealousy, or a streak of envy, or whatever it may be. There's those, those weaknesses that, that we in our individually being created individuality, we have those weaknesses that we work through. As a matter of fact, sometimes we struggle with knowing, like, how do we even deal with evil? I, I got the picture in my mind of, like, you know, sometimes we just want to swat at evil. Have you ever had one of those moments you just want to swat at evil? Similarly, how many of you rode in the back seat of a car with a mom who was up front telling you to behave and stop whatever you were doing? 
At some point, she got tired enough and she was torn between pulling over the vehicle to do whatever she felt needed to be done or to try and handle it going down the road. What does a mom going down the road do to try and handle the situation? Swatting. Just whatever gets hit, gets hit. You know what I mean? Just sometimes I've seen moms, matter of fact, I'm very pleased. There's a friend of uh, my son's who just graduated. His buddy just graduated. And I'm telling you at 16 and 17 years old when those boys were goofing off, my son included, when they were goofing off, I saw that mama. She would reach in her purse and she goes, I still have the spoon. 17-year-old boy, I still have the spoon. If you know her, she's awesome. <laughs> like, I love, because she had several boys' attention when she says it, because everybody knows, like, she's real. You know, like, this ain't a joke, you know. Just swatting at what, and sometimes in the, in the world of dealing with evil, I get this, this picture of us. We're not really even sure, how, how, do, I make, how do I make it stop? And there's this almost like, I'm just going to swat back and forth. And as Paul is talking about, in your weakness, he moves forward and he says that the Holy Spirit, in your weaknesses, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That the Holy Spirit is here interceding. The Holy Spirit is here and active. Folks, one of the things we believe about the nature of, the, of God is a, a, a theological term we use called the Trinity. The Heavenly Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and we believe that the presence of God is here on this earth, especially in this room, but equally outside these doors in your car, in your classroom, in your office, wherever you may be, that the Holy Spirit is there. And so you need to know in the times that you face weakness, it is the Holy Spirit who ensures you are not alone. You are not by yourself. You're, you're not unknowingly knowing how. As a matter of fact, it even says that the Spirit will give us the words of how to pray. Understand? Like That helper is there with us. Paul's mind in dealing with those weaknesses, with those living through this life, in the sufferings, in the groanings, and yet the hope of what is to come, and in, in navigating that, those two realities just juxtaposed against each other and yet seeming to be a part of the process of what it means to live. While dealing with those thoughts, he transitions to probably one of the most misused segments of Scripture. Not always misused, but oftentimes misused. In that, in that place of living with our weaknesses, you also have to recognize to say that all of humanity has a weakness or weaknesses, it ensures two things. Number one, you as an individual have the weakness that you have to live with. Amen? Something you have to work through, and it's the, the power of the Holy Spirit working through to, to help you in those moments of weakness or whatever you're, the things that the evil uses to get at you. And in the process of working through that weakness, you not only recognize that you have weakness that you have to live with, but you also have to live with the fact that other people have weaknesses too. Folks, some of the more difficult, some of the more difficult aspects of life, absolutely when our own weaknesses get us in a mess, okay? But some of the more difficult ones to deal with are when other people's weaknesses cause us pain. I have people that ask the questions like, why did these sorts of things happen? Being in student ministries for so long, you have circumstances. I had a, a former student killed in a tornado in Coleman, Alabama a couple of years after I left. I had you know, tragedies take place in which kids in youth groups in Nashville uh, had one of them still had a, a bullet slug in his knee attending youth group. Like things of, of the nature of like, why did these people get affected by other people and their weaknesses? And it, and it creates this space to where we say things to people and we say them with the, with the best intentions whatsoever. We say them as a version of this passage. In verse 28, we read these words, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, 
who have been called according to His purpose. Somehow we morph that into making a statement that can sometimes not be received nor articulated very well, that we say things like, everything happens for a reason. That's a, we can have discussions about what we mean by that statement, but I would caution you talking to someone who has endured great trauma to tell them that their trauma is okay because everything happens for a reason. So my child died in a tornado because God? There's, there's ways to say things, and we have to be careful in how, I don't know that that represents God well. I also don't know that it represents this text well. As a matter of fact, this is one of the more discussed, how does Paul, when I told you earlier that, that we don't believe, uh, no one who does honorable biblical study believes that one version or another is the version of all translations. Anyone who does credible biblical study will look back and see, sometimes the NIV crushes it well, does very, very well. Sometimes not so much. Sometimes the King James says things so articulately and beautifully. Sometimes it doesn't convey very well. Sometimes a new American, are you, are you hearing me? Like these things happen. And this is one of those passages. And I want to tell you the ways that people have struggled with like, how do we translate this into English? The one that many of your Bibles will say is, and we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those. Another translation that comes from that is that, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Another one is, in all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about good. Are you hearing the small differences in, in how to bring this into the English translation? One thing that you can say clearly from this text, especially as Paul in its context and where it sits, is that as Paul is dealing with people who are working through sufferings and the weaknesses of their own and having to live in circles of weaknesses of other people, it is that God is still at work despite our weaknesses. Maybe, maybe a more accurate way to leave from this text is, even though in our weaknesses and sufferings we find ourselves in great places of pain, for those of us who lean upon the Heavenly Father, good can still be brought out despite sufferings, despite the weaknesses that we see ourselves or other people deal with. It's not, not exactly... See, when tragedy strikes, we tell people, Maybe it is our job at this point to start looking for how God can work through this tragedy. So I don't know that I'm wholeheartedly sold out to this mentality of a God who calls a tragedy to see what we do. I don't, I don't like that mentality. I don't think it's biblically accurate. But I do think a God that despite the tragedy that takes place and people making awful decisions because of their weaknesses and now I have to live in the ripple effects? Maybe I have to start looking for God... How are you going to work to redeem and bring about good despite the weakness, despite the suffering? It's a different mentality. It's a different approach. But yet it is one that seems incredibly biblically accurate this morning. Hear me out, church. As you move forward with this week, with life, and as you recognize what it means to live in this, in this weirdness of struggling and suffering and weaknesses, and yet you live with the hope of being brought into complete sonship, then we will work to find God working to do good to point all of His creation to that final sonship. Recognizing that living through the sufferings and the weaknesses of this earth are just part of it. We'll work diligently to do better at it. We'll work diligently to survive those sufferings and those weaknesses better. And we will do so because it is the Holy Spirit that is with us throughout that entire process. What beautiful, beautiful hope this morning. Amen? God, we come before you today thanking you for who you are working through the difficult segments of knowing how to live a holy, set-apart, sanctified life here on this earth. 
And God, we who are people striving to be tigers on this planet, we pray that You would raise up within us, that You would grow within us. God, holy people searching after Your heart. That is not to say, God, we recognize that we will not leave this place in total perfection, but yet we will walk out of this place working to be 1% better every day. And so in our working, in our dealings with our weaknesses, and our dealings with our sufferings, would You both remind us of the hope we have in You, and also consistently and constantly remind us of the Holy Spirit who is navigating through this life with us. We love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And you are dismissed.